0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I want to start by asking you a question. When do you feel that a person is really with you? When a person is really with you? I know throughout this last year, throughout the pandemic, we felt isolated. We felt like we were all alone. And even our closest friends didn't really feel with us, right? Right? We feel like a person is really with us when a person is not just nearby, but when a person actually embraces us. That's when we feel like someone is with us the most. Okay? Today, we come to meditate on the titles Emmanuel, our God, and our King. Emmanuel means God with us. And for God to be with us means God is not just distant, but close. Close enough to actually embrace us. And we see him in a position of embrace. We see him in a posture where his arms are fixed wide open. His, his hands nailed to the cross, telling you here, I just want to give you a big, huge hug. <laughs> this is what Emmanuel means, that God is with us. St. Athanasius says, on the cross, Christ embraced both Jews and Gentiles, his right and his left, and reconciled the whole world to himself. That's the embrace that happens on the cross. That's what it means for God to really be with us, that he reconciled all of humanity to himself. Okay? When we think of our God Our king it's more of this communal statement Emmanuel God with us our God our King it's not this exclusive path there's no such thing as a Christian all alone on an island Christianity is not an exclusive walk even the monks that live in solitude are not saved alone. They are saved in as much as they bring the world to Christ. They intercede for the world. They are physically alone in isolation, but their heart, their prayers, and their thoughts are with the world for our sake because they understand the sense of community. Okay? Henry Nolan says Salvation is personal, but it's not private. We can be damned alone, but we cannot be saved alone. We are saved in the body of Christ, the church. Okay? Emmanuel, God with us. Our God. Our King. Okay, we understand that we are one unit. We are the body of Christ together. We are all his members. For God to be with us means that he enters our humanity that he's not distant but near Henry one says the truly good news is that God is not a distant God a God to be feared and avoided a God of revenge but a God who is moved by our pains and participates in the fullness of the human struggle right we see him participating in the fullness of the human struggle throughout this whole week especially on the cross he continues to say God is a compassionate God this means first of all that God is a God who has chosen to be God with us, Emmanuel. As soon as we call God, God with us, Emmanuel, we enter into a new relationship of intimacy with him. By calling God Emmanuel, we recognize God's commitment to live in solidarity with us, to share our joys and pains, to defend and protect us, and to suffer all of life with us. The God with us, is a close God, a God whom we call our refuge, our stronghold, our wisdom, and even more intimately, our helper, our shepherd, our love. We will never really know God as a compassionate God if we don't understand with our heart and mind that the word became flesh and lived among us. A lot of times we just say this word, Emmanuel, God with us, loosely. We don't understand what that really means. Truly with us. That he had to take flesh. That he had to identify with our humanity. And this is not just a creature that he sent to be incarnate. This is God himself. And we pray this throughout the Gregorian liturgy. We say, Neither an angel nor an archangel Neither a patriarch nor a prophet Have you entrusted with our salvation But you, without change Were incarnate and became man You, God himself That's why we say Emmanuel, our God And our King Saint Cyr recognizes that this is Beyond our imagination To the extent that We risk doubting this It's so magnificent that He understands if you can't really believe it So he says Indeed, the mystery of Christ runs the risk of being disbelieved precisely because it's so incredibly wonderful. For God was in humanity. He who was above all creation was in our human condition. The invisible one was made visible in the flesh. He who was from heaven and from on high was in the likeness of earthly things. The immaterial one could be touched. He who is free in his own nature came in the form of a slave. He who blesses all creation became a curse. He who is all righteousness was numbered among transgressions. Life itself came in the appearance of death. Look at the irony. Look at the paradox. The beauty of this, the magnificence of this Risks disbelief If you were to have An ID picture For God Imagine like you saved his number on your phone So that when he calls you his picture pops up (laughs) What picture Would you choose To be the embodiment of his identity Like the picture that identifies God We all know it's the one that we wear Around our necks The ones that we see in front of the church it's the cross this is like the essence of the way we identify God in his love for us and the way he cares for us the cross the cross itself an interesting thing about this cross the way that he died is that he died fixated on the cross okay he died in a fixed position this embrace his arms stretched wide open was a fixed position. I was just meditating on this earlier and I was thinking about how, you know, a lot of times we see people die and maybe they're in some sort of activity, maybe they're moving or a car accident. Of course, some people die on their deathbed even if you see somebody that's bound to their bed. But even in a terminal illness, somebody will still live their life and they'll move around until the very last minute in in which they're bound to their bed, and you see that they're kind of stuck there. But for Christ, He's nailed in that position. What does that tell you? For Him to be nailed in that position means that that posture is fixed. Nothing is going to change that. That means my embrace for you is permanent. God with us means I am with you permanently. This position, this posture of my arms being stretched out is a position that will not change. And they told him, if you're truly God, if you are God, and that's the title that we're giving him today, then come down from the cross. He said, no, I'm staying in this position. And this is going to be like my ID picture forever. (laughs) Because I want humanity to know That my arms are permanently fixed in this posture. That I'll always have my arms wide open for you. No matter what we've done. No matter the sort of past we might have had. No matter the mistakes that we've made. We walk into the church and you'll see his arms in the same position. Right? And this is the way Christ modeled himself in every parable. Right? The prodigal son goes back to his loving father who didn't punish him but embraced him, right? This is what we see on the cross. Now, for Christ to be fixed in this position and by the way, not just fixed comfortably, not just fixed in luxurious attire, forget luxurious attire, maybe just a shirt. (laughs) No, but fixed naked humiliated in this position. This tells you that for him to be with us, for him to truly identify as God with us, means for him to be vulnerable. God, who is almighty up here, the Pantocrator, chose to be vulnerable. That's an insane idea we think of God as impassable, right? In his divinity, nothing can harm God, nothing can touch God. But his incarnation allows him to be affected. The word vulnerable in Latin comes from vulnos. That word literally means wound. Okay? So vulnerable means woundable. To be able to be wounded. And this is exactly what we see in the cross. Christ wounded. And this was the first thought on his mind when humanity fell. Right? Whenever Adam and Eve ate from the tree, and then he's going to talk to both of them and the devil and tell them about the consequences that are going to come, he first goes to the devil, he goes to the serpent and he says, on your belly, you will crawl for the rest of your life. And from the seed of the woman... He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. You will bruise his heel. That seed is Christ. He will be bruised. He will be wounded. And trust me, we think of God as untouchable and we think of him as this mighty creator. But in the cross, we see someone who is woundable. Someone who is humiliated. Putting himself at the disposal of his own creation. The fathers explain it in a way that he becomes a toy in the hands of his creatures. Archmeneut Zecharias says, we must remember that God saved us with his vulnerability and his weakness. And St. Paul says, the weakness of God is stronger than men. He preferred to come in this world weak and vulnerable and he saved us with his vulnerability, with his humility, having humbled himself to the end, having gone down beneath everybody in order to raise everybody up. When we're praying and praising God and saying, Emmanuel, our God, that's what we're saying. And we're saying that in front of the cross, right? So we're identifying with his love We're praising him For the extent of his compassion for us That he was willing to be vulnerable for our sake And so God invites us To take the very same leap Just as God took a pretty big leap From heaven to the cross And he took that risk to put himself at the disposal of humanity, knowing what would happen. And so he invites us to also walk in the same path, to be vulnerable with him, to take a chance on other people. Father Anthony Hughes says, you see, we always have choices, and we can always choose kindness. And this means we choose to be vulnerable. So when we choose to love, when we choose to be kind, we choose to be vulnerable. He continues to say, such goodness is risky. Of course, we're not in control of how people will respond, and yet, if we're willing to take the risk, we will find, we'll discover what it means to be in sync with God. That's when you'll be in sync with God. When you walk this path of vulnerability, and it means you will be wounded. You're letting your guard down. And What more of letting your guard down can we find except in the cross? C.S. Lewis says, it's not possible to love without vulnerability. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. To love at all. He didn't say to love like God or to love with great magnitude. No, he says to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it'll change. It'll not be broken. It'll become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love it all is to be vulnerable. And so, we see how this even happens with pets in our life. Just a couple of years ago, I was talking to my boss. I know he had a pet a long time ago and he loves animals. And Now, he doesn't have an animal, but he loves dogs. And I asked him, like, how come you don't have a dog? He says, I can't bear the pain of losing another dog. Because when I was younger and I lost my dog, it just broke my heart. That's whenever we allow a dog to impact us. When we open up our heart to a pet. What about our brothers and sisters? What about our own family? Right? And the people that we consider our enemies are in the image and likeness of God. To open up to others is to put our life in their hands, to be at their disposal. That's what it means to be in sync with God. And so... When we think about the ultimate expression of the vulnerability we say that it's the cross right ironically we call this cross the throne of God now if you think of a throne it's no place of vulnerability right it's where a king sits with his chest popped up and he just snaps his fingers get a drink or food or whatever all the servants are at his service okay And Good Friday we sing a song called Pecothronos okay and the words of this psalm is your throne O Lord is eternal everlasting okay and it's like a ten minute psalm <laughs> during the hymn you're thinking wow this song is eternal <laughs> like it's it just Not gonna end, right? But we're meditating on the cross, which is the throne of God, right? This is where he's enthroned. This is where he was mocked. This is where we say a sign was posted and written on the sign, the king of the Jews, right? Even though it was placed in mockery, but this is where he identified as a king. Before that they clothed him with a purple robe put a reed in his hand and placed a crown of thorns on his head. All in mockery but what did it really reveal? The extent of his real kingship. Okay. We spoke about glory and majesty a couple of days ago so I won't spend much time on the title Our King. But This deserves a little bit of attention. That when we say Emmanuel, our God, our King, we're saying that this King is seated upon this throne right here. Nothing is more paradoxical than that. Father Matthew the Poor says, He stripped himself as far as he was able of all outward glory to devote himself to participating with with mankind in suffering. That suffering which he was to bear on our behalf in fullness so that its curse might be lifted from the sons of men he finally crowned his suffering with a death freely accepted he voluntarily chose this cross right he subjected himself to it he surrendered to it he finally crowned his suffering with a death freely accepted as the payment of a debt and a punishment on behalf of all the sinners of the earth so that through his death he might win their acquittal. So that we can be enthroned with him. right? Because we are co-heirs with Christ. An heir heirs, the one who receives the inheritance, the riches, the glory that belongs to the Father. Okay? So that means where he reigned, where he is seated, where he is enthroned, is the place of humiliation. It's the place of pain. It's the place of afflictions. Okay? Now, his disciples didn't understand this. And I'm sorry to say, a lot of us today still don't understand this. Even after he was crucified, and resurrected, and He's hanging out with them for a few days before his ascension. In Acts chapter 1, they ask him, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like we're waiting for your enthronement. (laughs) They missed the cross. They didn't understand that this was his enthronement. A lot of times, we're waiting for the glory to come. Right? We're waiting to enter into that kingship. But we are co-enthroned with Christ in as much as we are crucified with Christ in as much as we are humiliated in as much as we are afflicted in as much as we are abused in as much as we are wounded and in as much as we surrender our hearts to Christ the only one who recognized his kingship and actually asked to be remembered in his kingdom was the one who was crucified along his side the right hand thief How ironic is that? The one who recognized the true kingdom was the one who was crucified. Listen to what St. John Maximovich says. The apostles wavered in their faith in Jesus as the Messiah because they anticipated and desired to see him, an earthly king in whose kingdom they could sit at the right and the left hand of the Lord. The thief understood that the kingdom of Jesus of Nazareth despised and given over to a shameful death, was not of this world. And it was precisely this kingdom that the thief now sought. The gates of earthly life were closing after him, and opening before him was eternity. He had settled his accounts with life on earth, and now he thought of the eternal life. And here, at the threshold of eternity... He began to understand the vanity of earthly glory and earthly kingdoms. Remember, his whole life was spent stealing, right? He wanted riches, like he wanted to live in luxuries. But he understood that this was all vanity. He recognized that greatness consists in righteousness. And in righteousness, blamelessly tortured Jesus Christ, he saw the king of righteousness. The thief didn't ask him for glory in an earthly kingdom but for the salvation of his soul. He didn't ask to sit at the right hand or the left hand in his kingdom the same way as his disciples asked. But conscious of his unworthiness he asked in humility simply that he be remembered in his kingdom that he be given even the lowest place. This is why Christ was born. He was born as a king. Even the Magi, when they were looking for him, where is he who is to be born king? Right? When he's having this dialogue with Pontius Pilate, and he questions his kingdom, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight that I may not be handed over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate asks him, So, are you a king? Like, I don't get it. This is too philosophical for me. So are you a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Rightly so. You say so. That's the truth. For this I was born. And for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So, in conclusion, if we are to share in the kingship of Christ, if we are to sit on his throne, where do you think we'll find kingdom it's not in luxuries it's not in our little safety net it's in our vulnerabilities it's in our love it's in bearing humiliations it's in surrendering our will to our elder our father of confession that says do this and I don't really like it but I submit in obedience it's in actually selling my life as if I am sold to God, right? Saying, You bought me with the price of your blood. I'm giving you my life right back. And so I'll leave you with the thought of how the three holy youths experienced glory. Okay, now we know that King Nebuchadnezzar said, Unless you fall down and worship the golden image, you'll be tossed into the furnace. You'll be put to death. Right? Pain, suffering, okay? So, what happens? They say, we don't care. Let death come. We'll be humiliated. Okay? Now, as soon as the servants take them to throw them into the fire, what happens to the servant? The servant is burned and killed. Like, this was no joke. This was like the fire of all all fires. Right? This was going to hurt. And so they're tossed into the fire and when do they experience the glory of God? Is it after they survive in the furnace, they walk out, they're like, hey guys, let's pop some champagne bottles and celebrate because we had a great time, God saved us, now it's time to party. No. It was in the furnace. Think about that. It was in the furnace... That they saw Christ face to face. For them, where was the celebration? In the furnace, in the fire. Where was the kingdom of God experienced? In the fire, a fire that wasn't fake. A fire that was so hot, so painful, that it burned even the servants that were going to toss them in the fire. I don't know how the three holy youth walked out of the fire. I don't know how they got pulled out from the furnace after this experience. I'll be begging them to keep me in there. (laughs) Because they experienced the glory of God in their sufferings. And a couple of days ago, we spoke about how the cross is not the road to glory and majesty. It's not the road to the kingdom of God but it's the place of his kingdom. The cross is where he is enthroned. And so if we are to lay our life down at his feet and to actually surrender to the afflictions with faith, faith that actually buys into this, because we could all walk out and say, oh, that sounds great. It's you know, all well for the three holy youths. No, I'm not down with that. <laughs> but we actually got to have faith in this. We've got to have eyes, spiritual eyes, to see Christ in the fire. Because Christ could have been there if the three holy youth didn't choose to have their eyes open, they could have missed him. Christ is standing in front of all of us, besides us, and with us. Emmanuel is with us in all of our afflictions if we only open our eyes to see him. I'm telling you, that's all we need to do. And we see the love and the compassion and the sacrifice of Christ throughout this week that we may enjoy his presence in our life. And to God is due all glory forever. Amen.